Well, good morning, church. Happy New Year. Happy New Decade. It's hard to think that we are entering the 2020s. My name is Giorgio Monacci. For those of you, perhaps this is your uh, first Sunday with us, and I'm the worship pastor here at West Shore, and I have the privilege of preaching to you all today. And um, I hope you all had a safe and, and happy new year. On New Year's Day, uh, I went with my family to Philadelphia, and there was this thing co- going on that I've never heard about before called the Mummers Parade. Have you heard of this thing? Yeah. I, I didn't know what the heck was going on. Um, it was just really confusing why so many men were dressed up in weird dresses. Um, so that was an interesting day. We are right now in the book of John as we continue this series in John. And today we're going to be looking at John 10, where Jesus describes himself to be the good shepherd. And this passage is one that is it's vivid with a metaphorical meaning and a picture of who Jesus is. It relies heavily on the sheep and shepherd motif, and it paints a glorious picture of who Jesus is towards us and who we are as his people, his flock. We're going to get to see on display today his character, his love, his care for his church. And where I want to start is by pondering for a moment how we as humans, we look to leaders. We look to people that we respect to direct us. Naturally, humans look for a voice to follow. We do it all the time, whether it be a political figure or religious figure, or family member, or a coach. We look for people to receive direction in life. And in the end, we are creatures that desire and also need directing. I learned about this app the other day called Cameo. Have you heard of this app before? It's really weird. So it's this app where you can hire a celebrity. It could be an actor, actress, uh, an athlete, to basically send you like a 30-second to a minute-long message, an answer uh, question, uh, give you advice, inspirational message. And people pay like hundreds of dollars to receive this like personalized message from, you know, the the third guy in Saved by the Bell or something like that. And I got caught up in watching like the reaction videos of people like seeing this person that they adore give them advice, and they're like freaking out. And, you know, I think... We see that a lot in like rallies, right? People that are, that are charismatic speakers, they speak and they're just like, yes, 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 I receive your words. That's really how it is with people. We look for direction and a voice to follow in life. And we share this same characteristic with a certain animal. And that animal is a sheep. Sheep need a voice in order to be led. The Bible uses sheep as an example and descriptor of who we are time and time again, actually hundreds of times. The Psalms speak of God as a shepherd and his people as a sheep. Ezekiel speaks of a shepherd coming to lead the sheep of Israel in addition to other places in the New Testament. And the reason whether we admit it or not, we like it or not, is because we are a lot like sheep. We, we really are. They meander. They easily wander They become lost without someone leading them with a voice they can follow. And the truth of the matter is is that there's only one voice that can lead us to life. There's only one perfect shepherd. There's only one figure 
that can bring us to a place where we find redemption and grace and mercy, and that's Jesus. And so he identifies himself as this shepherd in John 10. Before we dive into the passage, I just want to briefly look at some uh, background on shepherding to help us understand this metaphor. I don't know about you, but I don't see a lot of shepherds around this area. You ever see people like walking across the street? I saw one shepherd in my life. It was in somewhere in Europe, and I freaked out when I saw him. And I just like stopped, and I was like, wow. And then they looked at me like, who the heck is this guy? So back then, shepherding was of cultural relevance. It was a really important job. It was a position that was a needed part of Jewish life. Shepherds raised and cared for sheep, and the sheep then provided wool and milk for people. And there was also a special lot of sheep that were raised for sacrifices, according to the Mosaic law that God gave the people. It was a metaphor that people would understand because of its regularity, but more so than that, it is a spot-on descriptor of who we are and who Jesus is. Sheep are weak, they are frail, they easily wander into danger, they're easily victimized by predators, they, they can't defend themselves in a fight, they aren't very fast. When you think about like what a lion, it roars, it's got claws and big, big teeth, dogs bark, even cats like do that horrifying hissing thing that they always do to me for some reason. And sheep, what do they do? They just ba. Like, have you ever looked into the eyes of a sheep? They, it seems like there's not much going on up there. Like, both eyes are going in different directions. They just, I don't know, I don't think they're cute. Like, I need to stop throwing shade at them. So there's this story uh, that I found from BBC News in 2005, and it's not funny. I'm not going to laugh, but I may. The title is Turkish Sheep Die in Mass Jump. So we're not off to a good start. Turkish shepherds watched in horror as hundreds of their sheep followed each other over a cliff. First one sheep went over the edge, only to be followed by the whole flock. More than 400 sheep died in the 15-meter fall, their bodies cushioning the fall of 1,100 other sheep who followed. Now, can you imagine being the shepherd, being someone who finds these sheep, and you literally see 1,500 sheep laying in this cliff and 1,100 are just buying at the same time. Like, I, I, can't even, I can't even picture it. And so we see that, and like, they're just not the sharpest tools in the shed, sheep or not. <laughs> you know, as I say these descriptors, it, it, can almost, it, it can almost seem insulting that we're compared to such a defenseless and sometimes extremely dumb animal. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I, can, I can do some things. I changed the brakes in my car last week. I'm really proud of that. Hopefully it works well. Um, so far, so good. You know, I can, I can grill a steak. I can play an instrument. I, I, I won my fantasy football league last year. And I'm very, very, yeah, I saw some applause. I'm very proud of that. And I want to think that my prayers worked when the Patriots were finally defeated last night and their reign ended. Yes. And the people that are not clapping are Patriot fans, apparently, so... But all jokes aside, the bottom line is this, is that it's despite our best efforts, we cannot do anything truly glorifying to the Lord or life-giving apart from the leading and power of Jesus. We can't. We cannot find our own spiritual security. 
We cannot lead ourselves to living water. We cannot be sustained under our own strength. We cannot be redeemed by our own actions. We need a leader. We need a shepherd that brings us to life and empowers us to do his will. And I know this just from my experience because every time that I try to lead myself, I fail miserably. I always end up being wounded, lost, confused, And as we look to who the shepherd is, think about this description as who Jesus is for us as poor, defenseless, lost sheep. Shepherds are protectors. They're caretakers, sacrificial in service, healers of their sheep that are wounded. They care for them selflessly. They're protective. The sheep follow the shepherd based on their voice and movements. And actually what's amazing is that even though sheep are not very smart, one thing that actually kind of makes them a little intelligent is that they can learn the voice of their shepherd and even the shepherd's movements, how they move. And so if someone random comes along and tries to like command them, they won't follow. They only follow the voice of the shepherd. And as the, this fleshly body has us wrapped so tightly, it's so easy to wander into death due to that fallen nature. And before Christ, that's what we were. We were far off. We were lost. We were hurting. And so thus we are compelled to need one to lead us. But not just any shepherd with a rod and a staff. Not just any person that can do an eloquent speech. We need one that is willing to go all the way to death to protect and save the flock. Who protects not just out of duty, or because he's just a hired hand, but one who delights to care for us. And God, in his goodness and mercy, saw his people needed one and provided one in his perfect son, Jesus. And in all this, there, there are two positions. For all of us in here, you are either lost or you are found. You are either wandering you are in the flock of Christ. There's no middle ground. And perhaps you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ. Perhaps you're here and you are wounded. My prayer for you today is as we go through this passage that you hear the Savior calling you to his side. That you hear him, how he can grant you forgiveness and abundant life. And for us that are followers of Christ, my prayer today is that it's just a reminder of who our Savior is. That we would want to perk our ears up so we can listen to him say sweet, sweet words of mercy and grace. And that in that we believe, we follow, and we listen. So turn with me to John 10, verse 1. We're going to read this whole passage and then we're going to break it down. Verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. 
a stranger they will not follow, that they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So what Jesus seeks to do in his passage is remind us what his perfect and incredible character is as the good shepherd, that he is worthy to be followed. To remind you of the love he has for you as one of his flock and that he is the only way to life. He is all sufficient. And it's worth noting here that the New Testament was originally written in Greek and so now that we have English translations, sometimes some of these words, um, we can't see like the deeper definition of them. So for this passage, good, it says the good shepherd. The original Greek word is kalos. And this is what the definition of that good means. Beautiful, excellent, eminent, surpassing, precious, magnificent, excellent in its nature and characteristics and therefore well adapted to its end. So I see this good as Jesus, the all-encompassing shepherd. It's not just something like, yeah, it's good. Like I ask people, like, how's the new Star Wars movie? Eh, good. Like he, he's so much more than just, oh yeah, it was good. He is surpassing, all-encompassing, excellent in every possible way. And so our main prop, to, prop today is this. Jesus, our victorious good shepherd, faithfully leads, saves, and loves lost sheep. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus, our victorious good shepherd, faithfully leads, saves, and loves lost sheep. We're going to look at each aspect of this. The first one is Jesus faithfully leads as the good shepherd. Look at me in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in and another, by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so Jesus here is giving a rebuke and a warning to us. 
And just understanding some of the, the language in this, a sheepfold, a sheepfold was basically like a sheep pen. So they would build like this rock wall that was kind of like in a U, and the sheep would be in there. There was only one way in and one way out. And in that entrance, a lot of times, the shepherd would actually sit and guard the entrance so that you know, no animals could come in and basically be uh, uh, like a defender in that spot. And so if anyone came over the sides of the pen or the back, they were up to no good. They were a thief. They were a robber. They were an animal trying to eat sheep. And if we look at what, hap- what we just heard last week in chapter 9, right? The blind man. Jesus heals the blind man. The blind man goes to the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. He testifies to Christ and they cast him out. They say, get out of here. And in that, they deny Jesus. They reject him. And during these days, the Jewish leaders were called shepherds. They were known as shepherds. And since there's no real break between chapter 9 and chapter 10, we know that Jesus is still talking to those Jewish leaders. He's calling them thieves and robbers. In Ezekiel 34, the prophet already indicts these shepherds of Israel. He says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so time and time again, as we've already seen in John, these religious leaders, they were wrapped up in themselves, their own motivations. They were wrapped up in the law rather than the Son of God who was right before their eyes. And they chose to lead for their own power and their own gain. They ignored God's will and they reviled Jesus, therefore rejecting the, the shepherd, bypassing the door, which if you caught it when we read the whole passage, Jesus calls himself the door as well, so we're going to get to that. And diverting from the way God has provided for lost people to be a part of his flock. And as they denied Christ, they're considered these of the kingdom, enemies of God, and ones that lead the flock astray. And so how does Jesus lead here? He leads by speaking. Look at me in verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow them, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And so Jesus leads by the sweet words that come from his mouth. Words of mercy, words of grace, words of direction, love, words that give you a compass in this life and point you to a greater hope than what we have here. And I love the marriage of the corporate and the personal in this section. He says that he leads the entire flock, right? His church, as the word of God is spoken over of us, he's leading all of us together as one, But then he's so personal that he knows each one of your names, that he calls you by name. He knows the exact situation, circumstance that you're in. And each of you have a unique and special story that you could tell to me of how you came to know Christ. He's so personal and corporate all at the same time. And as he calls us and he goes before us, we follow him and we can trust that wherever he's leading us, it's to a place full of life. He's not like that, you ever have that friend or that person that you know that, you know, when you go on a trip with them perhaps, 
Uh, it could be someone in your family, like who's the one who takes the mantle up of like knowing where to go, right? Putting the itinerary together, has the map, the whole thing. I like to be that person when we go places and I don't do a great job, I gotta admit. You know, when we go to Manhattan, went to Manhattan like a year ago with some friends and I had it all mapped out on my phone. Like we're gonna go here, there, everywhere. The only problem is that as I'm in front and I'm just kind of like, follow me, I just charge ahead and I forget that People are, like little kids are slower than me. And so I'm like five blocks down in Manhattan. I turn around like no one's there. And then they catch up to me. They're like, where are you going? Like, what, what are you doing? Or someone who leads you astray. Uh, a year and a half ago, I was in Europe, in Portugal. We went to this town called Almeida. And it was a border town between Spain and Portugal. Walled off town in the mountains. It was just gorgeous. Take my word for it. Go visit um, so I've been there before, so I knew where I wanted to go. So I walk in, my whole family's behind me, my parents are with us, and uh, I see a coffee shop. And I'm like, I'm going to go to this coffee shop. So I go right to the door, and I see kind of peripherally that my family has stopped following me. And I don't know why. I'm like, well, why wouldn't they follow me? So I go inside the coffee shop, and as I go in the sh- coffee shop, it looks really weird. Like I'm standing in the entrance, and I'm inside, and I see a staircase. I don't see any other customers. I don't see any display with like pastries and all that stuff. And I look to my right and I see another room and there's a family sitting at a table eating lunch. And I realized that I just walked into some random person's house in Portugal. <laughs> and they kind of look up and like stop eating. Like, like one of them, some of them even had like their fork like this, like wide-eyed. And they're probably thinking like, we're going to be robbed by an American. This is great. And so I kind of freeze up. I have this stupid grin on my face and I just slowly back out like maybe they won't see me and they'll just forget this all happened. And so when I go out, I turn, I, you know, I turn back to where the actual entrance of the coffee shop. My parents are like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. Just stop following me, please. Jesus isn't like that. He's never going to lead us astray. And so how does he speak? He, said, he speaks through his word. And by his spirit, we can hear, we just heard his voice. Like we just heard our shepherd, our savior speaking. And the thing about his voice is that it's undeniable. It's unmistakable. It's completely unique from any other voice. When we hear his words, when we read his words, something should rise up in us that tells us that it's more than just some eloquent speech or well-written text. But it's the very son of God the creator of the universe, the one who says that his word will never come back void. And as we hear his words and read them, he pours out life on all who hear and believe. And as his voice is unmistakable, you know, it's like my kids, a lot of times uh, when I when I talk to them on the phone or something, sometimes I'll just be stupid and I'll try to like do a high-pitched voice to like fool them or, you know, change my voice. And they always know it's me. Like, they're like, Dad, like, can you give it up already? Like, I'm 11. I I know it's you. Like, please stop. Now, Jesus is never going to try to trick us with his voice, but the point is is that it's, it's unmistakable. We always know his voice. His people always know that he is speaking. And I think how this section applies to us, this, this, this part of the passage, is that our main allegiance should be to Jesus only, not to a political figure, not to how eloquent their speech may be or how their policy aligns with ours. Not even to other religious uh, preachers, right? Sure, all of you have your your favorite preachers that you listen to. 
Even us up here, as we preach to you, that hopefully that you're checking against the word of God what we're saying. Your main allegiance, the primary person that you should listen to when here speak is Jesus. He's the only one that has the perfect words of life. And anytime we try and replace his voice for leadership with someone else, we will always end up disappointed. Always. Because just like us, that person is fallen. And they, they need to follow Jesus as a shepherd. And I think one of the greatest examples of Jesus shepherding us by his words is through suffering. A couple years ago, uh, back in 2015, my wife, Noelle, found out she was pregnant with our third child. We were really excited. So we went for the 12-week ultrasound. And uh, they did the ultrasound, and the nurse said, I'm going to take you to the room, wait here, we're going to run the results, and then we'll, you know, kind of let you know what's going on. So great. So we sat there, and she came in, and she said, so uh, the doctor read the results, and um, we can't find a heartbeat. And I, I was confused. Like, what do you mean you can't find a heartbeat? Like, can we just, like, did you, is the machine broken? Did you not hear it? And she said, no, the baby's not viable. The baby is not alive. And it was in that moment that a ton of bricks just felt like it had fallen on us. We were in deep sadness, deep despair. But one thing that I remember about that time was how the words of God, the words of Christ comforted us. I read over the next two weeks Job voraciously. And I saw things in that book that I had never seen before. And it was like Jesus was was reminding me and speaking to me directly through how God spoke to Job that you may not, you, know, you don't need to understand the why. You just need to understand that I am God and that my purposes cannot be thwarted. And this is for your good and for my glory. And I'm leading you through this. Trust me in this. And it gave us great comfort. And I'm sure each of you have a story like that in your life where you went through a time of suffering and the words of Jesus comforted you. I have many friends, even friends right now that are going through much suffering. And it's like when I talk to them, the thing that comes up is how the Bible is speaking to them in a new and fresh way. That's what his words do. And so as he is the good shepherd and leads so well by his voice, the second scripture that I want to look at is Jesus faithfully saves as the good shepherd. Look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So now Jesus switches gears, right? He said he's the shepherd, but now he's saying he's the door. So what does he mean by this? And so for us to understand, I think we need to look at John 14, 6. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what Jesus is saying here is that as he is the shepherd who faithfully leads and saves, he is also the actual doorway. He is the one way, the sole path to find redemption and forgiveness and healing, which ultimately gives way to new life. Hence, he is all-encompassing for salvation, just like good, right, in the Greek, kalos, surpassing, magnificent, excellent in its nature and characteristics. 
Jesus as our Savior is, he is multifaceted. He lacks nothing in saving, leading, keeping, providing, and protecting us. And when we trust him for our salvation, we also lack nothing. As we see, God has given his son all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. With that authority comes full power to call the sinner, save the sinner, lead the sinner, and keep the sinner till the end of time. Jesus, he is the beginning, the middle, and the end of our salvation story. He's showing here that he is the absolute, unmitigated fullness of all things for redemption. And so here's the promise of Christ for the sinner. Hear my call for repentance, to believe, follow my leading as the perfect shepherd, listen to my voice through my word and my spirit, enter by me, and you will have abundant and new life. You may have heard this saying before, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You never move on from Jesus. You never move on from the good shepherd. You just go deeper and deeper into who he is. And the issue with the Pharisees here, the ones he's calling the thieves and robbers, robbers, what they did is that they were all about following God, right? They knew the law. They knew the Old Testament. They knew God was a shepherd. They knew Psalm 23. But they ignored the door. They ignored the way. And so as they subtracted the one who redeems what man's actions, no matter how pious and law abiding they are, they were lost. They were just left with dead religion and joyless duty in striving to just simply obey. And they became hard of heart. And when we act like that, we have the same result. I remember I made pizza one time, tried to be the cook in our house. I'm not a very good cook. Um, so I decided to make pizza. It's not that hard, right? And I wanted to make dough from scratch. There was only, and I had all the ingredients. There was just one that I didn't put in the dough, and that was yeast. And so, yeah, my bakers in the room, or those of you that know, when it came out, it was terrible. It was basically like, it was rock hard. It wasn't, didn't rise, and we had to throw it away. And, you know, I remember my wife like, what are you doing? I said, I don't know, help me, please. And Christ, the Christian life is a lot like that when we leave Jesus out of it. He is the key ingredient to salvation. He is the central thing that we need in our life so that we are not left with just dead religion and hard hearts and legalistic behavior. He is our door. He is the one we follow. He is the one we listen. Our lives need to be centered on him. And so as we see that he is all-encompassing and more than enough for salvation, where does he lead us to? He leads us to abundant life. And this is his promise in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And so Jesus, again, is making this start, sharp distinction between who he is by his action and power and the function of the thief. And the way he describes himself is the one who will bring life that is ever flowing, that is bountiful, constant, rich, plentiful. And so what is abundant life, right? We've heard that a lot before. Some prosperity gospel preachers have actually taken this passage and tried to distort it to mean abundant life means you're going to have 
riches. If you follow the Lord, you give a lot, you have tons of faith, you're going to have you're going to have tons of money. You're going to have tons of possessions. You're going to be rich and blessed. That is not what Jesus is saying at all here. He's saying something that is so much better, deeper, wider, and something that lasts far longer than any number of possessions or wealth one can attain. It's a prize that can never be taken away from you. Something that, again, that if you have nothing in this life, you have everything. It's life solely found in Christ Jesus that makes your life today, this life, purposeful, meaningful, blessed as you have his spirit within you, renewing your dry bones. Abundant life means being filled with the riches of Christ so that in every situation you can spiritually stand strong so that you can find true joy as he is your king and your Lord, and not whether your circumstances are good or bad or how much you have in this life. Abundant life is new life with him today, but it's also the promise of eternal life with him that day in heaven. We'll see him face to face, worshiping him for endless days. That's what he promises. So how does he accomplish this? How does the good shepherd give lost, impure, unholy, rebellious sheep abundant life? By dying. By becoming the lamb that was slain. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so he does the unthinkable. He allows himself to be stripped and carries the full brunt and burden of God's wrath. He disregards his own life and surrenders it on the cross so that we could have his life. And as we go back to that fallen condition of us, right? Lost sheep, once cursed God, as God cannot look down on impurity because he is fully holy and pure, the pure had to be sacrificed. So as God is presented as the perfect sacrifice. We don't just survive as sheep, but we end up thriving in his redemption and his life. He is all-encompassing. He is excellent. He is the good shepherd in every way. So we've seen that he faithfully leads and saves. Now as a good shepherd, he faithfully loves. Look at verse 12 with me. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. So back then with shepherding, there would be these hired hands. A lot of the flocks were like, were massive, like 3,000 sheep, 4,000 sheep. You can't have one person trying to herd that. Like I have trouble herding four kids. I can't imagine 5,000 sheep. So a lot of times shepherds would hire these hired hands and they were basically like shepherd mercenaries. They were there to do a job. And so as they were there to just get paid and they were there for their self-interest and just to do a job, They didn't really care for the sheep. They had no connection with the sheep. So if wolves came or danger came, a lot of times they would just split. They would just run away. Like they'd be like, peace, see you later. And what Jesus is saying is that he is not like that at all. And I'm sure that we've all had people like that in our lives, have you? 
where when things got really hard, they're gone. Jesus will never leave you no matter the situation. He will always be by your side. And I think the greatest example of this, again, is the cross. Look at the cross. We just got done celebrating the incarnation. Jesus in human form. When he became human, he had every emotion that we did. Think about in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, the night before he's going to be crucified. He wasn't like, I got this, like, this is cool, like, no problem, yep. No. It says that he was in anguish. He was consumed with sorrow to the point of death. And then he prayed this, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. He felt the burden of the physical pain he was going to have to endure. He knew that the Father would turn his face and he would be utterly alone with every sin that you and I have ever committed or will commit on his back. Yet he did not relent. The New Testament says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. It was hard. It was unimaginable anguish and pain that he had to go through, but it was joy for him to do that because he knew he was saving lost sheep. He knew he was collecting the flock and that he would be their shepherd to march them into heaven, to everlasting life, new life. That's who he is. So he holds the office that the Lord has given him a shepherd fully with joy, lacking nothing. And he also faithfully loves as a good shepherd as he goes after lost sheep. In verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. And what he's saying here is he is always pursuing the lost. He is going after those wandering sheep. No matter how far they may be, no matter how wounded they may be, he desires that all would be saved. And friend, perhaps you're here today and you feel you're too far gone. You feel that you're that sheep. Maybe you've gone over that cliff and you're like, there's no way that he can find me. That's a lie. Think about Luke where he says that he will go and find that one sheep that was lost and leave the 99. The 99 are safe. But as he goes and he brings back that one sheep that's wounded, he rejoices for he found that one lost sheep. That's what his desire is for you today. So hear his call. And so he leads, he saves, he loves as a good shepherd, and finally, he is the victorious shepherd. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so he completes the gospel story here by not just stopping at his death, but also talking about his resurrection. And what this shows us is, yes, he's a caring shepherd. Uh, and we remember precious moments stuff? Right? Those little figurines. It's so cute. 
Like, my aunt had a picture in her house of the precious moments of Jesus being a shepherd. And it's like a little boy, so meek, so humble. And what Jesus is saying here is, yes, yes, he is humble, he is meek, he is caring, but he is the roaring lion of Judah who defeated death. He didn't stay in that grave. He's the one who cannot be contained or defeated by any man or creature. He's the one who laughed at the grave on the third day and rose. And he's the one who declares his life is his own to give up and his own to raise. Jesus was not a helpless victim. He was not just taken advantage of by evil men. No. He's the one who wills his death and wills his awakening in the grave, displaying his unfettered reign, supremacy, and authority over all enemies. And what this should do for us is give us immense confidence in his power and leading. He is complete. He is the fullness of God in every way. And in this incredible act, we as lost sheep get the spoils of his victory. We're found. We receive abundant life, his protection, full forgiveness for our sins. And now his spirit, his very spirit indwells in us. And his spirit allows us, gives us the power to even hear his voice and follow him. And we are promised a hope that is eternal, unfading, kept in perfect security, that he will once again return to gather up his flock. And so what does this all mean for us, right? Leads, saves, loves, victorious, good shepherd, lacking in nothing, excellent. Three simple things, believe, follow, and listen. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Unlike at the end of the passage, those Jewish leaders that said he's insane, he's a demon in him. Rather, no, he's not. He's the one who can open the eyes of the blind. He's the one who can bring the sinner back. He's the one who can redeem the most vile person. Believe that no matter the circumstances in your life, the peripherals may vary and change. You may have wolves run into your life. You may see storms brewing, but trust that he is leading you through it. He is the good shepherd. And follow. Follow him wholeheartedly as he will never fail you. Follow him as he leads you to pasture with his rod and his staff. Follow the good shepherd to where he wants to take you. And listen to his voice above all other voices. Don't let anyone else crowd out his voice. No matter how charismatic that speaker may be, he's the one ultimate voice that gives life through his word, his spirit, to receive hope, listen to the good shepherd. And so in conclusion, what's incredible as he is our all-encompassing, everything we need shepherd, he will never stop fulfilling that role, ever. A billion years from now, when this world passes away and we are in his presence, he is still the shepherd. Revelation 7, we have this picture of heaven where it says there are myriads and myriads of people before the throne of God and they're singing praises to him. And John writes this, then one of the elders addressed me saying, 
Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he sits on the throne. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He never stops being our caretaker. And so now as we have abundant life, as the Spirit dwells in us, we will one day find that perfect pasture as we're still in a fallen world. We still see rot and decay all around us. We can look to that time where he will lead us as a shepherd and continue that role. He will dry every tear. He will lead us into eternal life. And so for some of you that are not believers, you may doubt today who Jesus is. And in that, there is a spiritual wandering in your soul and perhaps you're hurting, you're wounded. Know that that he is seeking you out right now. That he is calling you right now to receive the forgiveness that only he can give. We're gonna have a prayer team up here during this last song. And if you hear that call and you wanna follow Christ as your shepherd, I ask you to come down and pray with the team down here, either during the song or after the song. And I think some of you that have been believers for, for years, some of you may have kind of lost his voice, that you've let other voices crowd in, and the volume is a bit high with those other voices, and you're, you're distracted, and you want prayer for fresh faith, for fresh ears to hear him. There's a prayer team will be up here. For any of you that have any situation in your life or disease, that you want prayer for healing, come.